Please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. If you've not already done so. Psalm chapter 1. And really today what we've done is something a little bit different, but it's fun to do. One text, two sermons. Uh, it would be very presumptuous of anybody to think that you could cover everything in any passage in a sermon. It's just as presumptuous to think that you can cover everything that's in a passage in two sermons. But sometimes it's good to take one passage and preach two sermons from it. Now, normally preachers do that, and it goes something like this. Uh, I am beginning to run overtime on Sunday morning, and so let's continue this thought on Sunday evening. Well, that's okay, but this is intentional, fully so. It's been planned that way. This morning, we looked especially at the blessing and delight of meditating on God's Word. Because Psalm 1 and verse 2 is the key verse of the six verses that make up the first chapter of the book of Psalms. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does meditate day and night. Tonight we're going to ask this question, which way are you going? Which way are you going? As I came home the other day from uh, baptizing a friend into Christ that I've been kind of working on and others in my family for 20 or so years, I was really happy. A lady sat next to me. She found out that I was a preacher for the Lord's Church and we struck up a conversation. She's here visiting her daughter. She's here visiting her best friend who is part of our community. She let me know that she was a, ma a member of a well-known denomination. We kept on talking, had a great visit. She told me that her husband had passed away a number of years ago and she is about to uh, marry a person uh, from the Catholic background and they were having real problems on what they would be doing together when they got married. Religiously mixed marriages can be extremely difficult, really. And as we talked about things, I ended up saying to her, this is something that you need to work out because you need to be on the same page and you need to be listening to what God says and what God desires concerning this and every other matter. And so we continue to talk about that for a while. But, you know, no person needs to enter a relationship, much less a marriage, if you're not going to be on the same page as it concerns the most important things in the world. Where are you going? You know, much of the world today thinks we're all going to the same place, no matter what route we choose to take. Where are you going? But this psalm, the first psalm, there's a number of interesting things to observe just as you look at this. First of all, there's no superscription. Many of the psalms in their chapters have a psalm of David, 
a psalm of Moses, or of the sons of Korah. It's missing in Psalm 1. Further, this psalm, much like Psalm 119, is a wisdom psalm that stresses the Word of God. This is a wisdom psalm that stresses the Word of God. Psalm 119 with its 176 verses, it surely does that. But Psalm 1 with its six verses does the same thing. When you look at Psalm chapter 1, it also sounds so very much like the teaching of Jesus. Psalm 1 just sounds so very much like the teaching of Jesus. Let me give you three passages from Matthew that can illustrate what I'm getting at. Keep your finger or your marker there at Psalm 1, but open your Bibles to uh, Matthew 7. Look at verses 13 and 14. Psalm 1 sounds an awful lot like Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus deals with, in verses 13 and 14, the fact that there's two ways. There is the broad way, there is the narrow way. One is the path of destruction, the broad way. The other is the path to life, the narrow way. And as it concerns the broad way, many there are that enter therein. And as it concerns the narrow way, few there be that find it. Now, just so we don't forget anything, go back in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And what we've got is this in these six verses. The godly and the ungodly contrasted. The godly and the ungodly contrasted. The godly, verses 1 through 3. The ungodly, the wicked, are not so. Beginning at verse 4 and going on through verse 6. The broad way, the narrow way, huh? The way of blessedness and the way of lostness. Now look at the first word in Psalm 1. In virtually every major translation, it's what word? Blessed, right? You may have how blessed, but blessed. Look at the end of the psalm and what's the last word? Perish. You see, there's all the difference in the world in the two ways. One ends in eternal blessedness, and the other in perishing eternally. Now let's go to another passage in Matthew. Same chapter, Matthew 7. But keep your mind on what we're looking at in Psalm 1. Because I'm briefly going to overview this psalm, but I want to give some background to how much this sounds like Jesus. In Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, the Lord talks about the wise and the foolish builders. 
The children sing, the wise man built his house upon the rock. What we have in Psalm chapter 1 is this introductory psalm instructing us to build our lives on God and His will. To use the terminology of this morning, we delight in God and meditate on His person, His character, His will, and His works. That's the blessed life. All right. Now turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. Jesus is not long for this old world in Matthew 25. He's about to go to the cross on our behalf. And in Matthew chapter 25, he gives us a series of stories. Stories about the future. In Matthew 25, 1 through 13, the story of the virgins, five wise, five foolish, a story all about adequate preparation. Remember that. Because I suggest that Psalm 1 is telling us about how to make adequate preparation. Just as Jesus is speaking about it in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Now Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. The parable of the talents. Using God's gifts and blessings. The expression I would put down, sacred stewardship. Sacred stewardship. Adequate preparation. Sacred stewardship, verses 31 through 46. The sheep and the goats. The story of the sheep and goats. Loving action. When did we see you, Lord, in these circumstances? Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. And the great commandment, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, is to love God with all and to love one's neighbor as oneself. And so adequate preparation, sacred stewardship of God's blessings, and loving action are all to be seen in Psalm 1. Let's look at this psalm. Go back to Psalm now and let's look at Psalm 1. Three characteristics, three characteristics of true blessedness. Three characteristics of true blessedness. The blessed way of life. 
Characteristic number one is from Psalm 1 and verse 1. True blessedness comes by being God-centered and focused. True blessedness comes by being God-centered and God-focused. Now you can state it in the negative because verse 1 really does. True blessedness does not come by leaving God out. True blessedness does not come by leaving God out. Now what's significant about verse 1 is you've got three triplets. Now we've got a lot of kids in the congregation, but we don't have three families that have all had triplets. Now we've got some twins. We've got some that are born really close together. But when you look at Psalm 1 and verse 1, you've got three triplets, and they are not the kind of triplets anybody would want to have. Because they are the triplets that leave God out of the real equation of their life. And true blessedness cannot be theirs. Notice one of the triplets. In looking at the three triplets here, you can mark them in your Bible. It's not hard to do. But there is a gaining of intensity in each one. Standing is the second one. Walking, standing, sitting. You see that one? Walking. Walking. You just happened to encounter somebody while you're walking. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. Walking. Standing. When you're standing, there is some engagement going on. I'm standing around talking to some folks. We even use that expression very often. And then sitting. Comfort. It's possible to encounter wickedness. Then engage in wickedness and then to be way too comfortable with wickedness. That's what the psalmist is getting at. Then another one of the triplets that he deals with is the triplet of the wicked. These are people that basically shake their fisted God and do what they want. Then it mentions sinners. These are people that do the first one a lot. It's a habitual way of thinking and acting. And then scoffers or mockers are mentioned. And so they will go beyond the wicked who will look down their noses at anyone who disagrees with their actions or behavior. Sinners helps you to really appreciate the fact that Jesus was the friend of sinners. And then mockers and scoffers, people who belittle God and His ways and will. They make fun of it. 
triplets. And then you've got the expression counsel. People who listen to the counsel of the wicked. People who stand in the way of sinners. They engage and act. Remember what Peter was doing in Matthew chapter 26? He was standing in an area where Jesus told him not to be. And he denied Jesus as Jesus had prophesied he would. Sometimes we walk places we shouldn't walk and we stand with those we shouldn't stand. And then to seat, the seat of the scoffers. You got a seat at our table. That means you belong. That means you're our guest. You're welcome. And to have a welcome seat at the place of the scoffers should not be the desire of any Christian. The counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked does not respect the inspiration and authority and all-sufficiency of God's Word. The counsel of the wicked does not appreciate the value and place of the cross. The counsel of the wicked is more about loving self than loving God and others. Lovers of self, 2 Timothy 3.2. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, 2 through 4. Having a form of godliness but denying the power, 2 Timothy 3.5. Ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7. The counsel of the wicked. Yes, we can know an awful lot about those things, sadly. But the blessed way refuses to stay in the council. Refuses to stay in the way or to sit in the seat. We want to go another way. So remember verse 1 stated positively. True what? True what? True blessedness comes by being God-centered and God-focused, not by leaving God out. Now, look if you would at verses 2 and 3. True blessedness comes by knowing, delighting, and meditating on God and His will. True blessedness comes by knowing, delighting in, and meditating upon God and His will. 
Since this was pretty much the passage covered this morning, I won't spend as much time there, but I want to focus on just two or three things. First of all is the word delight. Delight. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Where's your delight? In money? In stuff? In attainment? Where's your delight? What gives you the most delight and joy, and what are you most passionate about? But what verse 1 has already said, and what verses 2 and 3 spell out? A blessed life is the life that knows and delights and meditates on God and His will. That means that's what we treasure and cherish more than anything. Agreed? All right. The word delight is even used in a passage like Esther uh, 2 and verse 14 in our translation, same Hebrew word, of a woman and her love. You know, when you find that lady that delights you, fellas, you don't just uh, have time for her, you make time. You find time. You rearrange your schedule. Especially, remember those early years of, 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 of love and courtship and marriage? All you wanted to do was be with her. All she wanted to do was be with you. What I really think the passage is saying is, more than anything, I want to know and think about you, God. To delight in Him. To meditate. And the word really comes from a word in Hebrew that carries with it the idea of to, to growl almost. Mm, mm, mm. Have you ever been studying God's word and thinking about it? And you go, hmm, wow. You see, Scripture is speaking. And Scripture leaves us speechless, but it doesn't leave us thoughtless. It's a reflective way of thinking. Hmm, wow. Scripture leaves us speechless, but it won't leave us thoughtless. Never. But to know God. And then it talks about fruitful and prosperous in verse 3. And the idea is that this person is rooted, firm, and strong, and fruitful. Rooted, firm, and fruitful. Talk about a plant-based type of thing. Rooted, firm, and strong, and fruitful. That's the illustration God uses here. And you know, I said, we don't know who the human author is. Well, I don't have to because I'll guarantee you that the author is God. Regardless of who the particular human instrument was. 
Because only God can begin a book of praise like this. Where do you think you're going? Which way are you going? There's only two ways. Where are you really going? You know, a lot of people think they're going somewhere that the text, that God's Word, does not indicate to be where they're going. That shouldn't be true of us, should it? But it could be. Give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1 and verse 10. Now that brings me to the last point. Look at verses 4 through 6. True blessedness keeps eternity in view. True blessedness keeps eternity in view. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. The ungodly are not so. Are not so what? Just as he had illustrated what the godly or the righteous are like in verse 3, a tree planted by rivers of waters, now he illustrates what the ungodly or unrighteous like, and they're like chaff. Chaff is part of the winnowing process for grain. Maybe you saw something like this done even now, I don't know, but it probably didn't coincide with the time you were there. But in that part of the world, they would take the grain and they would throw the grain up in the air and the grain would be heavier and would fall to the ground and the wind would take the chaff and blow it away. And think about this. If the tree, if the tree planted by rivers of waters is fruitful, and if it is firm and rooted, chaff is rootless, weightless, and useless. Chaff is rootless, weightless, and useless, but to blow away. This is how God describes the ungodly in their life. Why? Because adequate thought has not been given to eternity. Now verse 5. Verse 5 prophesies, predicts, has God predicting what is ahead Verse 5 says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the way, in the congregation of the righteous. They will not stand. They will not stand. And then verse 6. That's about as plain as you can get. Like chaff that's rootless and weightless and useless, they will not stand in the judgment. You know what that means? 
person who's ungodly won't have a leg to stand on in the judgment. And if that was true at this point in the Old Testament, how much more true is it now that Jesus has come? And verse 6. God concludes, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Mark it, the Lord knows. He knows what? The way of the righteous. How does the Lord know the way of the righteous? I'll tell you how, because the Lord provides the way. The Lord provides the truth and He provides the life. John 14, 6. But the way of the wicked will perish. The real contrast is between being saved and lost. Two passages and we'll conclude. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is in Christ. High school, y'all been studying Ephesians the last few weeks especially? Sure have, haven't you? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Three times God's great blessing is mentioned. Blessed is the person who listens to what the psalmist says as this book opens. And finally, John 10, verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Isn't that a beautiful thing to contemplate? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know what they're going through. I know what they need. I can care for them as no other. And my sheep know me. Psalm 1 helps us to know and delight and to think more and better about God. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. Thank you for your attention. Should there be one here tonight that needs to put Jesus on in baptism, it is a wonderful time to do that if you haven't yet. At the point of baptism, one goes from death to life spiritually. At the point of baptism, one goes from being condemned to being saved. At the point of baptism, one goes from being a sinner and ungodly to godly and righteous. God's amazing. For those of us who are Christians, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, which way are we going? And let's make sure that we are going the good way. A way in which we'll find rest to our souls. Let us stand.